0: Lord, would you bless us with ears to hear you this morning, what your message is and why you wanted us to hone in on this and, and what you want to say to the Bridge Fellowship today. And Lord, I, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I, I'm so encouraged. And, and even in thinking through what we're we going to do with today and will we just cancel everything because of the slick roads or, or go ahead with it. And Father, I'm just so glad that we're all here together in one place. And I'm so thankful for the time to worship you and to be family together. And I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you intend. By your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, Lord? We're listening, in Jesus' name. Amen. Alexandria (laughs) Ocasio-Cortez. Wow. Or AOC, if you're cool. She She gives the earth 12 years. I think she's being generous. I don't see 12 years, but I don't credit her generosity because of her Green New Deal. I don't think that's going to save the planet. In fact, her kind of generosity is probably going to bankrupt the country. But that aside, politics aside... When she says I give the earth twelve years, I, I don't see it going that long. Now I could be wrong, and I'm not saying that to scare or upset anybody. God has His timetable. God's going to do things in order His way when He is determined to do them. It doesn't really matter what my opinion is, right? It's not my opinion. It's His word. This is something I just heard recently that uh, Glenn is using with his with his guys on Monday nights. I don't want your opinion. What's His word say? I want to encourage you, Bridge Fellowship, to live that way. Not by opinion, but by truth. By what the Word of God tells us. And I hear a different warning than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, chapter 10, verse 5, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. And swore by Him who lives forever and ever, He's taking an oath here, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when He is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as He preached to His servants, the prophets. I want to read you a quote I found very interesting I read this. And, and the Lord actually used this to kind of turn me back to chapter 10 this morning. And it reads as follows, To living men no time can be so solemn as the living present, whatever its characteristics. And that solemnity is immensely deepened in an age of progress unparalleled in the history of the world. But the question arises whether these days of ours are momentous beyond comparison by reason of their being in the strictest sense, the last. Is the world's history about to close? The sands of its destiny, are they almost run out? And is the crash of all things near at hand? Earnest thinkers will not allow the wild utterances of alarmists or the vagaries of prophecy mongers to divert them from an inquiry at once so solemn and so reasonable. It is a reasonable question. Are we at the last? Are we in the end of the end times? The last of the last days? Even the Ocasio-Cortezes and the the global warming alarmists sense that things cannot continue as they are. The things will not go forward unchecked or unjudged. Now that quote I read to you was actually published in a book in 1894. In the days when Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was spinning out Sherlock Holmes yarns, this last day's questioner was himself a highly respected investigator. In fact, the writer of that quote was chief of the criminal investigation department of the Scotland Yard. His name is Sir Robert Anderson. He had a brilliant legal mind. In addition to a profound knowledge of the Bible, he was a writer, a lecturer, a teacher. He was used by the Lord to bring countless numbers of people to Jesus in the late 19th century. In fact, it was said of him, what I would love to have said of us as a fellowship, he's been called a voice from the Philadelphian church age. We could use a few more voices like his today. Sir Robert Anderson, he wrote one of the best treatments, and by the way, I encourage this to all of you to pick this book up and read it. It's called The Coming Prince. Sir Robert Anderson's The Coming Prince, yes, written in 1894, but it is based on Scripture, and so the relevance of it is remarkable. And it's a fascinating read. It's a treatment on Daniel's 77s. And while I don't agree with everything that Robert Anderson said, he was speaking from a perspective different than ours. We've seen some things even since he wrote. And yet, this intrepid, intelligent, investigative intellectual, Sir Robert Anderson, lived with an expectation of the imminent return of Jesus, of the fulfillment of all things in the Scriptures. He was writing about Israel at a time that Israel did not exist. He was writing about a rebuilt temple in in Jerusalem when there were no, well, there were Jews in Jerusalem, but there was no temple there. There was no nation there. And yet he and, and other Bible students in the day knew these things would happen. How did they know? Because the Bible told them so. Because they simply believed the words of Scripture. All Christians are called to live believing the words of Scripture. And not again, our own opinions. And all Christians are called to live with an expectancy of the imminent return of Jesus. That for me to say we have 12 years is to put God off. I don't believe we have 12 years. I hope we have 12 minutes. I'd really like to finish the teaching this morning. But the point is, He could come at any time and we are called to be people who live that way with that kind of expectancy. Not fear, but excitement. (laughs) I'll tell you this much, if you can't live with excitement about the coming of Jesus, should it be this afternoon or next week or in 10 years, then you need to ask yourself, where's your faith? Who do you trust? What do you believe in? What are you looking forward to if not Jesus in His coming? It's sad and it's strange that this kind of expectancy seems to be in decline in the church of the last days when you would think it would be all we talked about. The churches that do talk about the coming of Jesus and study books like Revelation and deal with end times prophecies, they're fringe churches. You're part of one of those. (laughs) And yet, shouldn't this be the stuff of our conversations all the time? As followers of Jesus Christ, I believe it was in the first century, and they were 2,000 years out. They had no idea. It certainly was for Sir Robert Anderson and others like him. By the way, he wrote more. He, He said, it is only the unbeliever who doubts that there is destined a limit to the course of this present evil world that God will one day put forth His power to ensure the triumph of the good is in some sense a matter of course. But then he says this, listen closely. The mystery of revelation is not that He will do this, but that He delays to do it. Let me read that again. The mystery of revelation is not that God wills to do this, but that He delays to do it. And in our text this morning, what the Lord used to grab my attention, at least this week, is when this strong angel stands up, raises his hand to heaven, and swears by oath, there will be delay no longer. I want to consider just one question this morning. Kind of chew on it and and think it through and, and process it. And that is very simply, what is the delay? There will be delay no longer. What's the delay? Now, here in Revelation 10, the strong angel, who I do not believe is Jesus, for many reasons that I went into on Wednesday night, I don't believe that this is Jesus in the personification of an angel. Some teach that it is. Some believe that it is. And if you look back at verse 1, it's fascinating the parallels. He looks like Jesus, but I don't believe he is Jesus. But then he is simply Christ-like. That followers of Jesus are Christ-like. That angels in the presence of God are going to, in some way or another, reflect the glory of God. And I think we see this in this angel. But this ministering servant, he comes down from heaven. He plants his feet on land and sea. And he delivers, again, this ominous message saying in verse 6 swearing by Him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But but I have to delay the delay just for a second. And think about what He just said. Notice this holy oath that the angel has taken. To raise up the right hand. This is a sign of an oath, of of a swearing that is going on. Not a a swearing as in bad words, but a swearing as in by the only one that you truly can swear by. That you can take an oath on. That you can truly trust. There's only one who is that secure, that solid. And this holy oath is remarkably similar to another holy oath. If you'll turn your Bibles back to the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. I want to show you this. Nehemiah chapter 9. While you're turning, by the way, for those of you who just like to search and study out these things, if you ever want a great personal study, look at Nehemiah chapter 9, Ezra chapter 9, and Daniel chapter 9 and compare them. All three are prayers of confession and repentance. All three are remarkable prayers and they parallel each other in in unique ways. But in Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah and company had just finished building a wall. They didn't need Congress to approve it. (laughs) They built a wall around Jerusalem. And after this, they they joyfully reinstituted Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you realize that in Nehemiah's day, it was the first time the Feast of Tabernacles had been celebrated? God told them to do it. You can read about it in Leviticus 24. God said, I want you to celebrate this. 23 or 24. And it was a command for Israel, one of the major feasts of Israel, to be celebrated by Israel. And it was Nehemiah and crew who reinstituted the Feast of Tabernacles. Not just the first time since they came back from captivity... These are exiles having come back now from Babylon. But this is the first time Sukkot was celebrated in a thousand years by Israel. Since the days of Joshua, nobody kept Sukkot. But Nehemiah and company said, no, we've got to get back to it. Let's get to the truth. Let's do what God asked us to do. And so they did. Well, what happens in Nehemiah chapter 9 actually takes place now after this. They, they reassemble in Jerusalem. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 9, on the 24th day of this month, now this is the month of Tishri because they had just celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, so that same month, this would be the fall for us, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. This is how you showed repentance and confession. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Watch this. This is how they did it. Verse three. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. Six hours. Six hours. They stood in the courtyard in Jerusalem as the law, as Torah, as the Hebrew scriptures up to that point were being read out for the people. Six hours of Bible teaching. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So six hours of Bible reading, six hours of worship and confession don't tell me I go too long. (laughs) Man, that's church. Verse 4. Now on the Levites' platform stood Yeshua, and Bani, and Kadmiel, and Shebaniah and Buni, and Sherebiah, and Bani, and Shanani. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And then the Levites Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodeah, Shevaniah, and Pethahiah. Love these names. They said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. And listen, you alone are Lord. You have made the heavens the host of heavens with all their host. And the earth and all that is in it. And the sea and all that is in them. You give life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before you. And they continue on in their worship. And in their confession. And in their remarkable prayer. And again, another time, go read the prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of confession. But the recognition of the exiles is like that of the strong angel and that is right up front as they worship as they praise God they recognize God is creator of all things God the creator He created heaven and earth and sea and He created everything in heaven and everything in earth and everything on and in the sea it is an all encompassing recognition of the creator God and that is so important, and I fear lost to some degree in the church today because it affects it affects us personally. It's all-encompassing. Understanding God as creator, believing this focuses and it directs a person's entire worldview. Rejecting it. You undermine your worldview. You will undermine your faith. Christians who reject the creation of God are standing on a wobbly faith. Understanding God created all things. It's why the Word of God begins. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He started that way. He didn't want us to miss it. If you get nothing else in Genesis, understand this. I created. Everything that is, exists because I made it. Because I created it. Whether or not a person believes that God is Creator, that, that doesn't change the truth. He is. And the proof of that is all around us in the beautiful snow that the Audis recognized driving over this morning. And the sun that is shining as a break in the snowfall and the trees that surround us. You know, we've said this many times. We live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Thank you, Jesus. I've had friends ask me, Rick, wouldn't you rather try to pastor like in an urban area where there are a lot more people? And, and you, no. No. No, I want to pastor where there's lots of trees and the water and the mountains. I just I love it here. God created these things. If you don't believe God is creator, it doesn't change the truth, but it changes the person. It affects the individual. If you don't believe that God created, who do you trust? What do you rely on? All you have left, and we see a growing culture of people that all they have is theory and uncertainty and ambiguity and fear, and that is an anxious way to live you got to legislate the, the Green New Deal because <laughs> that's all we've got. This earth is not all I have. I have a Creator. God is all I have. Jesus Christ is all I have. Jesus is my security, my certainty. He is the absolute. He is my faith and my trust. And whatever else happens, should the world crack in half and spin out into the universe, I have Jesus. And so confidence and peace. And John wrote about Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 3 all things came into being through him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. Paul said in Colossians 1.16 By Him all things were created in the heavens and on the earth invisible and visible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through Him and for Him and so an oath sworn, sworn by Him is an absolute certainty. Which is where the angel's coming from. He swears not by Himself but by this Creator. Do you see why He can't be Jesus. Now God swears an oath on Himself, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us. But this very clearly tells us that this angel raises his hand and swears an oath on Him who created. Well, Him who created, guess what? That's Jesus. So this is alone, the the standout reason why I understand this angel not to be Jesus is because he's swearing by the Creator. He's swearing by Jesus. But again, stay with this thought a minute longer. He, he swears not by himself, but by the creator, thus tying this declaration that there will no longer be delay. He ties that declaration to the God of creation. And that is extremely significant. Why does he do that? He could have, he could have just said, I I swear by the Lord on high. I swear by God and all that he stands for. I swear by the absolute truth. Of God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He could have sworn in that way. He didn't. He swears on the God of creation. And this is so important, especially in a time where, as I said, many Christians are uncertain of this basic truth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, again reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to skip down to verse 27. But the rest of the chapter, he describes how God did that. Six days of creation and a seventh day of rest. Oh, you don't think He he actually created the world in six days? It's what it says. Why do we try so hard to undermine the Word of God when this is what it says? Well, down to verse 27, it says God created man. How? In His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Side note. Students, you're hearing an awful lot about gender identity right now. What does the Bible say about gender identity? He created them male and female. That's it. There is no option C. There's not another box to check. And it doesn't matter what you think or how you feel. What does it say? He created them male and female. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that's on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit-yielding seed. It shall be for you. Food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food. And so it was, and it was so. And God saw verse 31, all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Our creator and the description of his creation. But we now live in a creature serving nation. Congress is right now working on a bipartisan bill. Perhaps you've heard of this bill. It's called PACT, Protecting Animals from Cruelty and Torture. The PACT bill. PACT will, quote, criminalize crushing, burning, drowning, suffocating, and impaling animals. Well, good. I mean, I think that's important, I guess. The measure will also address bestiality and other sexual exploitation of animals. I guess like hashtag animals too. (laughs) <laughs> now, listen, I, I, I'm all for caring for critters. I, I, I have a hard time. I, mean, I, I would feel really bad if I squashed a squirrel on my driveway. I would. That would bum me out. Especially because they're always out there playing Animal X games. Do you guys experience this? I mean, the rabbits, I think, I really think they're in the bushes, they're lined up, and they go, here comes the car, here comes the car, here comes the car, go, ah! And they run across. And the other rabbits are going, yeah, he made it. Oh. It's not good. It's televised on rabbit channels. <laughs> rabbit ear. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so so this, this new bipartisan bill is going to criminalize torture and, and, and cruelty to animals of all kinds. I, I read that and I thought, what about roadkill? If I if I hit a deer or a dog or a raccoon or a bunny rabbit. Am I now going to be liable under this bill by federal law that I've just done damage or severe harm or death caused the death of an animal? Hey, more seriously, they're introducing this bill at the same time our country is fiercely debating whether or not a baby in the womb has human rights. Focus on animals and animal rights. And what we have seen, and it's not just preacher Rick talking here, I'm just telling you what we all are seeing, and that is the elevation of concern for the critters over the creation over the creator not just over mankind i mean that's that's bad enough animals are being elevated to either equal to or over above human beings but it's worse than that they're being elevated above the creator himself and we don't even have to guess how the creator feels about all this romans chapter 1 verse 18 says listen the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. We all know. We all have that sense in our hearts. The hardest-hearted atheist has a sense of God. Otherwise, as I've said many times, he wouldn't be so angry. What are you upset about? if you really don't believe. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise, this is what humanity does. We got this down. We have great understanding. We live in a time where we know things no one else has ever known before. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over In the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The creature worshipped over the Creator. Back in Revelation 10, this is why the oath of the strong angel is so significant. Because only the Creator, only the Creator has the power or the right to put an end to His creation. Only He can, only He will do it. Psalm 89.11 says, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. And so, you know what I look forward to? It's not the Green New Deal. How about considering God's New Deal? Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing, and her people for gladness. I think that's wonderful. And I'm not here to debate global warming. There may be some of you who absolutely believe global warming is taking place and others who think it's a complete lie. And the truth is, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. Global warming is not how the planet will end. Well, not the way we think of it. If you believe in the Creator God and you believe in the God of the Bible and you believe these words, then you know we don't have to worry or fear or dread global warming. At the proper time, God's going to take care of things. And beyond that, we don't have to bank our faith in this world. We have a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem that is coming, that is promised, and God's going to make it happen. So we trust Him. And we don't live in fear of the environment destroying itself, or mankind destroying itself, or a field full of cows gassing us to death. <laughs> what I'm saying is, God's got this. Trust in Him. Don't be fearful. He's creating a new heaven. A new, I like that. God's New Deal. I would run on that platform. But listen, I'm getting ahead of the plan. Swearing by the Creator of all things, the mighty messenger now affirms, verse 6, that there will be delay no longer. What does that mean? What's he talking about? But there's a point coming when the messenger says, this is it. There will be no more delay. Now the word delay, if you look it up in the Greek, is chronos. And if you're reading the King James translation, what it says is there should be time No longer. But time is not the right translation of the word there. I understand that it's chronos, but chronos can also mean delay. It can also mean an aspect of time. And the context gives us the right use of the word. He's not saying that all time will cease to exist. In fact, he can't be saying that because with the blowing of the seventh trumpet that we'll get to in chapter 11, time does not cease to exist. We still have a thousand year kingdom out from there, from beyond there. So there's still time. He's not saying time. He's saying there will be delay no longer. Which brings me back to the original question. What has God delayed? And this is important too. This goes to our worldview. This goes to our attitudes in our everyday lives. The delay that he's saying, there will be delay no longer. Guess what? The delay is not grace. The delay is not your redemption. The delay is not salvation. These things are not on delay. They are right now. They are realized immediately when a person comes to faith in Jesus. Let me take the religion out of that sentence. When a person comes to faith in Jesus, when you trust Jesus, salvation comes. Redemption comes. Grace is realized And by the way, with that, kingdom living is also not on delay. Don't get me wrong, the kingdom is not now. The kingdom is yet to come. But as a born-again child of God, I'm already a citizen. I can already start living as a citizen of that kingdom right now. I'm on foreign soil, but I am a citizen of the coming kingdom. My constitution, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the entire scripture serves as my constitution. My president, president, my potentate, my king, Jesus Christ. My loyalty, my allegiance is to him and is to the kingdom that is coming. But King Jesus, even Jesus is not on delay. Jesus is now. Jesus is this morning. Jesus is here. Jesus is among us. Remember what he said? I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Again, more comfort and encouragement in a world that is so confusing. i got Jesus. No matter what happens in my life. And I know some of you have done this. I've done this recently. When you don't know to whom you can turn, you can always call the name Jesus. When you find yourself uncertain in the moment... It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. You could be driving, walking, lying in bed in the middle of a a program at work. And you can stop and go, Jesus, help me get through this. And you know He hears you. And you know He's with you. He said, His words, John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. (laughs) I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. And I'm sure he said it that way. You'll see me. (laughs) Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Done deal. That's not on delay. That's right now. That is the promise to anyone who receives Jesus Christ as their Lord, who trusts in Him, who says, Lord, whatever else happens in my life, I will follow you. I need you. Boy, you are in a position of utter confidence. And it still amazes me, why would you want to live in this world with so much uncertainty when you can have surety in the name of Jesus? Now, the literal coming of Jesus to meet us in the clouds, that's our blessed hope. We look forward to that. But when the angel says, there will be delay no longer, that meeting will already have been behind us. That is, when this point happens, when this no more delay happens, we will already have been on our honeymoon for quite a while with Jesus in heaven. The bride with the groom, the church at home. So here it is. The thing that is kept in delay right now, but will be delayed no longer, is the wrath of God. The wrath of God. And we will see from the seventh trumpet forward, chapter 11, verse 15, there will be no more delay of God's wrath. You see, even during the seal and the trumpet judgments, at least all the way up through the sixth trumpet judgment, during that entire period of time, there remains, as we have been seeing, opportunity for repentance and salvation there's still a gray area. Glenn and I were talking about earlier. There's a gray area then. When does the times of the Gentiles literally end and, and the kingdom begin? And there's a, a funky gray area into the tribulation. Gentiles are still getting saved even after the rapture of the church. But there's a point that we can be certain of when wrath is no longer delayed. If you've read the Seal Judgments... If you listen to the trumpet judgments, you might say, wait a minute, that's wrath, man. Yes, it is. But it's wrath with opportunity. When the bold judgments hit, they afford no such opportunity for repentance. No opportunity for salvation. With the bold judgments at this particular point forward, there is no more delay. It is full on wrath. Unparalleled in the history of the world. Revelation chapter 15 verse 1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last. Because in them the wrath of God is finished. This is the great tribulation that Jesus referred to in Matthew 24. Psalm 75, verse 7, the psalmist Asaph wrote, God is the judge. He puts one down and exalts another. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams, and it is well mixed. And He pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. The cup of the wrath of God. It's poured out, even from Asa's day, on hold, ready for the world to drink, and the world will drink. Do you know where else this cup of the wrath of God showed up, though? Mark chapter 14, Jesus had just asked the apostles, guys, I, I need you to be praying And he leaves them and goes a little beyond them and he fell to the ground and he began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Mark 14, 36, and he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And that cup was the cup of wrath. Because Jesus stepped into this world To take the cup of the wrath of God and drink it down to the dregs, mixed, foaming, and full on Calvary's cross. And by doing that, God put His wrath on delay. This is such a significant moment in history. Significant, yes, because it touches on every life ever to be saved in all of eternity. Significant because it paid the price. We've used those terms before. But significant because in that moment, God put His wrath on hold. If Jesus hadn't followed through with that, there would have been, I think, delay no longer. Think about the delay of God in your life. Think about this. What if he hadn't delayed to this year? What if he hadn't delayed to last year? Or in my case, what if the delay wasn't until 1974 when I gave my life to Jesus? This delay of the wrath of God and the cup of wrath. And I know when we use phrases like wrath of God, people go, Old Testament God, harsh, uncaring, mean God. No, 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 no. This delay of the wrath of God is further proof of who He is. Of His very nature. Isaiah 48, verse 9, God said to Israel, For the sake of My name, I delay My wrath. For My praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Two things to note real quickly here. Number one, He delays His wrath for His namesake. For His namesake. Because of who He is. Well, who is He? It's believed to be the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. Mackey calls it the John 3.16 of the Hebrew Bible. It is directly quoted 12 more times in the Older Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures, and it is God's self-revelation. It is referred to hundreds of times in the Bible. Listen to it now. Moses He's on the mountain. He's tucked into the cleft of the rock. As God promised to do so, God's gonna cover him with his hand and pass by because Moses had the audacity to say, I wanna see your glory. God goes, I'm gonna hide you in the rock, cover you with my hand, and I'll pass by. And you know what I'll do? I'll let you see my goodness. More on that in a second. Exodus 34, verse 6. In fact, you need to note this. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is God's self-revelation prior to Jesus Christ. If you want to know who He is, how He thinks, how He functions, this is it. And then we see it expressed in full when He put on flesh to dwell among us in the person of Jesus. But here it is. The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord. The Lord God. Compassionate gracious, slow to anger, abounding in grace, loving kindness, and truth. Who keeps loving kindness or grace for thousands, and the implication is thousands of generations. Who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Okay, wait, just listen to that comparison. Loving kindness to thousands of generations. Visiting the iniquity on the third and fourth generation. That alone is remarkable grace, but understand even further. The punishment on the children... And the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation isn't the punishment that belongs to the father, it's the punishment that belongs to the children and grandchildren if they keep down the same road. It's God saying, I'm not going to leave the guilty unpunished. And if grandson sins in the same way that grandpa did, he will not go unpunished. That's what he's saying. Because God is absolutely fair. Could you be so patient? I mean, think about this. In your life, when people do you wrong, could you have such forbearance with foolishness and stupidity and hatred and violence and human hostility? The very fact that we are in 2019 still under the delay of the wrath of God speaks volumes to the character of His grace and compassion and forgiveness and patience. He's still putting it off. There are some of you sitting here this morning and I say you and not me. And I say it on purpose. There are some of you sitting here this morning that are under wrath and you don't even know it. Well, how dare you, Rick? How can you say that? How do you know you're not under wrath because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus? Because I'm under grace. As the vast majority I believe in here this morning are under the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because we trust Him and not ourselves to be good enough. But there may be some of you sitting right here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Do you realize this morning you are under wrath? And the only reason it hasn't come to you in your life is God is delaying it because He loves you that much. He's waiting on you. He cares that deeply for you. He's delaying it. He's holding it back. When we were kids, we would go down to the beach and try to hold back the waves. You know, it was a game that we would play. I can do it this time. You know, and just topple you over and you'd come out with sand in your mouth and just beat up by the water. That's that's what it's like when you try to delay wrath. You can't do that, but but he's delaying it. He's holding back the wave of his final wrath. Listen, God delayed wrath to convey salvation. Why? Because that's who He is. That's His character. That's the glory of His name. He delays for His name's sake. But, Revelation 10.7, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when He is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as He preached to His servants the prophets Again, Sir Robert Anderson said, the mystery of Revelation is not that he will do this, but that he delays to do it. That mystery we talked about Wednesday night, the, the mystery that is now finished, it's a mystery that's already revealed. We already know what it is. It's just not done yet. It's like reading a great mystery novel and, and, the, and the fulfillment of it, you, you get to the point where you know what's going on and it's revealed, but there's still a chapter or two after that. You know, as things are buttoned up and finished up, a, a good novel will do that. It won't just end with the revelation of mystery. Well, we know what the mystery is. It just hasn't been finished. And that mystery is, I believe, it's that, it's that crossover. It is the fullness of the Gentiles. And it is the regathering of Israel, both of which have required massive patience. The fullness of the Gentiles? For 2,000 years God has let this world go on. He's let atrocities happen. He's allowed mankind to treat mankind horrifically. He's put off wrath. Why? Why? So that the fullness of the Gentiles would come in. The fullness of the Gentiles, that's that's you, non-believer. That's you, rebellious one. That's you who's putting off God and saying, I don't know, I don't think I want to, I'm not sure I can buy this. You're the fullness of the Gentiles. You're part of the delay. you knock it off, I'm tired of the delay. <laughs> The fullness of the Gentiles required massive patience on the part of the Lord to allow things to continue. He does not want to continue, but He allows it because He knows people are still getting saved. The regathering of Israel has required massive patience on the Lord with His chosen people who He stuck His neck out for, who He gave a land, who He loved, who He showed compassion and grace for, and yet they continued to rebel against Him. Massive patience because He is still going to regather all of Israel, not just to the land as we see happening in our time, but to the Father, through the Son. We're going to see this. In His delay, God has shown the character of His grace. A couple of passages real quick here, and, we'll, and we'll, we're almost done, but Romans 9.22 Says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? What does that mean? What if God put up with the the people who will never accept it? What if God puts up with those who refuse Him all the way to their own demise? He did so, Paul writes, to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, that is upon those who will accept Jesus, which He prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. But in Romans 11:25, I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And I said on Wednesday night, let me clarify so you all don't miss this. All Israel saved will be all Israel who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because there's no other way to be saved. But through faith in Him. But get what Paul just said. He says a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So the fullness of the Gentiles is going to go until that partial hardening stops. Which I take to mean in the moment when Israel as a nation on the earth says, Jesus is Messiah. times of the Gentiles are over and the kingdom is about to begin. And that is what I think has taken place. The mystery... Being finished. The delay that is no longer. And we reach a point midway in the tribulation when this is done. There will be delay no longer. Look over at Revelation uh, chapter 11 verse 15. Just read this one verse with me. Then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. That's huge. That's huge. That's next Sunday's study, but it's huge. (laughs) That there's a moment coming when the delay is over. And the kingdom is prepared. Wasn't that the prayer of Jesus? Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed it. The angel swears by it, it's coming. The kingdom of God is going to come as the fulfillment of his promise to David and to Israel. And the kingdom is still coming. After Revelation 11:15, after this midpoint, there's still more that's going to take place. In final preparation for the kingdom, what is that? The wrath of God. The final punishment. Everything else is finished. Then that will take place. But the kingdom was promised again to David and Israel. Hosea chapter three verse five says, afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they will come trembling to the Lord, listen, and to his goodness in these last days. That's the second thing to note. And it goes right along with the first. He delays for his name's sake and he delays for goodness' sake. He just delays for goodness sake. You see, before God revealed His nature in Exodus 34 to Moses, Moses had said, I pray you, show me your glory. Exodus 33.18 And God said, Exodus 33.19 I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. In His delay, God has made all His goodness pass before history pass before us. Even this morning, as we sit here, He is still delaying and making His goodness pass before Israel and the world. His goodness is evidence of His patience. And it is always that way with God. So patient with us. So willing to wait that one more, two more, three more might be saved. Last example. Turn back to 2 Peter chapter 3 just four or five letters back 2 Peter 3 verse 1 Peter writes This is now beloved the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. I think that's, for some, that's why we're studying this and looking at this verse again this morning. I'll stir you up by way of reminder to remind you while the world calls God judgmental and the church bigoted to remind you that God's patience is His goodness, is His nature and that wrath is yet on delay. Remember that. Remember that. We are still in a time of grace. But know this first of all, Peter says in verse 3, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the Word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Now wait a minute. How quickly did the flood come? Between when the warning sirens began to sound and the first drop of rain began to fall. From when the, the first alert was sent out to when the seas opened up and began to flood upward as the water was coming downward. How long did the world really have to be ready to be prepared? A hundred years? 120 years? Noah's building the ark. Right? Took him about a hundred years to do it. 500 when he started, 600 when he entered the ark. So, Wow. God gave the world an entire century to be prepared as Noah's building this ark and people are going, what's that for? Well, there's going to be a flood, see, and (laughs) this is the only way out. No, it wasn't 100 years. Try 969 years. Try from the prophet Enoch, at minimum. I mean, and we can know this one, that Enoch, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. It's a bizarre name. Well, it's a name with purpose and meaning. Because the prophet Enoch named his son Methuselah and we're told, Genesis 5.27, that all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. So what does that tell us? Enoch was a prophet named his son Methuselah which means in his death it shall come and the year Methuselah died the world was destroyed by the flood. Methuselah was a prophetic warning. His life for almost a thousand years was warning to the world, was a delay, if you will, of the wrath of God. The first worldwide destruction was on a thousand year delay. How about the last one? Peter continues, verse 7 of 2 Peter chapter 3, by His word, the present heavens... And earth are being reserved for fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And people immediately look at the fire and the judgment and the destruction. And they miss the fact that these things are being reserved and kept. Delayed. God holding it back. Because of the goodness of His name. And it says in verse... 8. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If you want to know what God's desire for humanity is, it's that all humanity be saved. Why didn't He just do that? Because He's not going to force anyone to go to heaven. Because He will not strip you of your free will to force you into His salvation. He puts the offer out there. He says, I love you. I care for you. I have an eternity planned for you that is beyond all that you could imagine or think. Will you receive that? Will you accept that? But the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And what's remarkable is that though the wrath of God is poured out, there is no more delay after the wrath of God. The Bible tells us He's going to restore the world for a thousand years of peace and prosperity. And then, and then, the fire that is kept is going to do its work, and that's for another study at a later time. There's an old Jewish proverb that goes this way. Michael flies with but one wing, and Gabriel with two. That doesn't mean that Michael flies in circles. Michael is seen as an angel of God's wrath. Michael, Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says, At that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Michael's going to bring wrath. Angel, uh, Israel has long known that. The rabbis have long taught that. Michael flies with but one wing and Gabriel with two because Gabriel is known as the angel of peace. His message is one of hope. Luke chapter one verse twenty six tells us in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and Gabriel came with the message of the Prince of Peace. The same Gabriel, by the way, who talked to Daniel over five hundred and sixty years earlier. And brought the promise in Daniel chapter 9. Michael, seen as the angel of wrath. Gabriel, known as the angel of peace. Michael flies with but one wing. Gabriel with two. The idea is that God is quick to send angels of peace. They fly fly swiftly on two wings. But angels of wrath must come slowly. Flying on one wing. As Anderson wrote, But the day is coming when our God shall not keep His silence. What does he mean by that? Well, he's quoting Psalm 50, verse 3. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before Him and it is very tempestuous around Him. So again, we hear the angelic oath. He swore by Him, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. And 125 years ago, Robert Anderson asked, is the world's history about to close? The sands of its destiny? Are they almost run out? Is the crash of all things near at hand? That was 125 years ago. What does that tell us today? Be encouraged. God's grace is still at work. Things are still on delay. For His name's sake. For His goodness' sake. But not for long. How long? We don't know. We don't know how long. But we are in grace over time. We are in the end of the age of grace. Brothers and sisters, let's use it. Let's use this time. If you have any unfinished business with God, delay no longer. If there's someone you have not told about Jesus Christ and His grace and love and compassion for them and the hope that He can bring them in their lives, delay no longer. And if you have yet to give lordship of your life over to Jesus, please, I beg you, delay no longer because the bible tells us in hebrews 10:37 in a very little while he who is coming will come and he will not delay would you bow with me father your delay is remarkable what you delay lord is terrifying but the fact that we are in the delay right now is just It's mind-boggling when we really start to think about what You have put up with and how long You have put off and how long, Lord, You have given warning after warning after warning after loving warning. The fact that we sit here this morning truly is remarkable. It's amazing. It's I don't understand it, Lord. I don't have that kind of patience. But I praise the name of Jesus that for goodness sake, for your name's sake, you have shown that kind of patience. Our worship to you this morning is first and foremost because of who you are. God who is compassionate and gracious. Lord, I pray for the overflow of your compassion. I pray as we talked about midweek, that your compassion, which is a sense of it's a feeling in the gut. That same word, compassion. Speaking of the compassion of Christ in the New Testament, that same word means guts. And Father, we thank You for Your guts and we pray for the overflow of of that kind of gutsy compassion among us. That we would feel in our guts the lostness of family and friends around us. And because of that, we would have to get Your Word out I pray for an increase of that kind of compassionate love here among us one for another looking after each other's needs loving each other as Christ first loved us I pray for that kind of forgiveness Lord in families and, and in relationships that are rocky or broken or hurting Lord I know I know how it works it all comes of us fixing our eyes on Jesus so we're kind of back to where we were in communion this morning Lord would you help us to look deeply and longingly and continually at Jesus Christ that our love for you would overflow in our lives and that you would show us Lord exactly what to do with the days we have left May we, Lord, delay no longer in whatever You desire for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been putting God on delay, I invite you to stop this morning to delay no longer, to come to Jesus Christ. We'll pray with you. If you need to be baptized, we'll baptize you this morning. If you want to give your life to Jesus and you've yet to do so, Again, I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but we have no idea how long the delay will go on. I am shocked that it's lasted this long. But it's only lasted because God loves you so much. Won't you come to him? Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>